called Artisan Soul. Uh, we're going through the book, uh, written, same name, by Erwin McManus, and so... Uh, encourage you to pick that up if you haven't already. I know our community groups are starting, going through this. Uh, last week we saw that we were created in the image of God and created in the image of a creator God means that we ourselves have been created to create. Um, it's in our DNA. Erwin uh, McManus says this, that creativity is the natural result of spirituality. Now, I know that many people go, well, I'm not a creative person. And the answer is, yes, you are. We're, we're all creating something. Uh, if you live in a home and you've ever picked out curtains or bedding or you moved a clock or a picture around, you were creating a space. You were creating a home, a sanctuary for yourself. Uh, if you work and you are repairing things and you are creating order, if you are a number person and you run spreadsheets, you are creating sense out of just seemingly random facts. You are putting it together in a way that is helpful and understandable. If you cook, then you create meals. If you clean, then you create peace. Uh, if you research, you create a plan. We all create. Life itself is a work of creation. Here's one thing we're all creating. We are all creating a future. That's what we're doing together. And so this morning, I want to remind us of our theme verse. It's here in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That's what's happening inside of each of us. So let's, let's say that together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That's what God is doing in your life. If you're here this morning and you are a Christ follower and you're filled with, with the Spirit, then guess what's happening? God is making something new inside of you right now. Now today we're going to be talking about the power of words. And in order to sort of get back to all of these things, we're going to need to go to the beginning uh, where we were created in the image of God. We've got uh, Adam and Eve. They are created and they find themselves in this perfect place called the Garden of Eden. They're there to tend the garden, to shape it according to their desires. Uh, they've been given uh, rain to name animals. They've been given rain to tend the garden, which means they're able to move things around and make it a home for them. Uh, they're living in perfection. And it's here that the serpent shows up. Now, you probably know the story. The, the serpent shows up and says to Eve, hey... Uh, let me tell you, God's holding out on you. Yes, this looks like perfection, but it's not. There's so much more. If you would just eat the tree he told you not to eat from. And so she does. She goes and she eats. And guys, we're not off the hook because it says like Adam is standing right there too, sort of a witness to this whole conversation. He eats. Now, prior to this, they'd lived their life in innocence. They had been walking and talking with God. Uh, the text tells us that they were naked and unashamed. Most people today, if they're naked, they're ashamed. Um, we're clothed and ashamed half the time, right? So, you know, that's just where we find ourselves living. But in perfection, in the garden, they are naked. They are unashamed. Life is perfect. There's no pollution. There's no concern about anything. And now all of this sort of comes crashing down. Now, God sees what's happening. And here's the place where they have this encounter. It says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Notice the first question here is what? It's who told you? Who told you? Who have you listened to? What words have you allowed to shape who you are right now? That's the first question God asks. It's here that we see so clearly that words shape us. Words shape us. God says, who told you that you were naked? Much of what we think about ourselves is based off of the words that we've heard about ourselves. If, if you uh, have survived childhood, I mean, congratulations. Um, you know, your parents love you very much. Um, you're here, but most of us are shaped largely by the things that we have been told. Uh, things that your parents told you, teachers told you, maybe his older brothers or sisters or uncles or people told you. A lot of your identity is shaped by the words that have been spoken into you. Sometimes those words are incredibly positive and, and we could get you all to line up and say, man, I knew I could do this because people believed me and they told me this. Others have been hurt by the words that others have said to them. And they would say, man, I didn't think I could do anything. I didn't think I was valued. I didn't think I was loved. Why? Because of the words that we've heard. You see, we believe that we're good at something or bad at something a lot of times based off of the feedback, the encouragement, the words that we hear from others. McManus writes this. He says, before we speak for ourselves, others speak on our behalf. Before we are able to declare who we are, our soul forms around the declaration of others telling us who we are. He goes on to say that the soul is made of malleable material, and it's so true. All of these words add up into an internal story that we tell ourselves. It's sort of like the operating system of our lives. If you're familiar with the work of Brene Brown, she's a sociologist. She's done a lot of study with, uh, in resiliency. And she said that she and her team of sociologists went out and were interviewing people who'd been through some pretty horrific things. And they were trying to figure out, like, what makes one person resilient and another person just crumbles? What makes one person strong and another person weak in the midst of trials and tribulation? And she said, we were all surprised by this phrase, but we almost heard it without exception from the people we identified as resilient. She said, the phrase we heard was this, the story I keep telling myself is, and then you fill in the blank. She said there was, there was clear to us that there was some sort of story, some sort of, of collection of ideas, a narrative that they had put together that enabled them to withstand the trial, enabled them to go that next step in life and not crumble under the pressure. So the, the question we should ask all of ourselves is what is the story we're telling ourselves right now? If we were to record your internal monologue, that, that tape where you talk to yourself throughout the day, what would it sound like? What tone of voice would it have? We should at least be aware of it because the crisis most people face are less because of their circumstances than because of the narrative inside. Hang on to that for a second. I'm going to read that one more time. You, you really ought to really internalize this. The crisis most people face are less because of their circumstances than because of the narrative inside. In other words, yes, horrible things may have happened to you. Yes, horrible things may have happened, but they happen to people all the time. The question is, what is the story you're telling yourself? What words are you telling yourself? How are you allowing yourself to be shaped in that moment? I love what Mike Foster says. He says, what's happened to you may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. So how do you take that next step? How do you move forward? What's the story you're going to tell? We've got to get that story down because we need to see it before it comes out in a moment of stress. Jesus is going to face a stress test 
in the wilderness. Um, if you're not familiar with the story of the temptations of Jesus Christ, just real quick background. Jesus, for, for 30 years, has been living probably as a carpenter. He's, he's probably been studying Scripture, and, and it's here at the age of 30. He's baptized. He receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes on him and empowers him to do ministry. And it's in that moment that the Spirit takes Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, this is a season of preparation. It is a season of intense spiritual training. There's only three people in Scripture who have said to have gone 40 days and 40 nights fasting. You've got Elijah, you've got Moses, and you've got Jesus. And it's interesting to me that at the Mount of Transfiguration, all three of those folks show up. What does that mean? I'm not entirely sure, but I, I think it says something to the power that happens when you go through that intense crucible of faith formation. And so Jesus comes out of this, and yes, he is strong, but man, how hungry would you be after 40 days and 40 nights? And it's here that the devil shows up and says this. It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Thanks, Matthew. We probably figured that one out on our own, but um, we appreciate the, the narrative in case we missed it. It says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, which he was, Tell these stones to become bread. Now, this doesn't sound like a bad option, right? If you are the Son of Man, you now have the Holy Spirit, you could turn stones into bread. This is not going to be a difficult thing. What's going to happen here? It's interesting to me to hear the words that Jesus says. Here's what he says. Jesus answered, it is written. What's that mean? It's in Scripture. It's actually the book of Deuteronomy. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus here is revealing that his life has been shaped by the words of the Heavenly Father. That Jesus' life has been shaped by what God has said about him. Friends, we've got to allow God to shape us with his words. Jesus in the wilderness rejects Satan with the words of God. Next thing is going to happen. Satan's going to tell Jesus that, you know, hey, listen, you, you are subject to your desires. Yeah, yeah, sure, you're hungry. You can allow yourself to do whatever you want to meet those physical needs. And Jesus says, I'm not just an animal. I'm not just given to hunger. I'm not just given to my desire. I am shaped and formed and satisfied by the words of God. Satan's going to take Jesus from this, this temptation of stones to bread. And he's then going to say, Jesus, why don't you show us how privileged you are? Why don't you throw yourself out to the temple? You'll, you'll make a great name for yourself. This is what we talked a little bit about last week. Where there's so many things that we can do that would make us great. But the question is, would we be good doing them? We are in an endless pursuit of greatness. But the question is, do we have goodness inside of us? And Jesus says, no, I don't want to achieve greatness that way. You know, we live in a time, and it's sad to think about this. So many people today are famous for being famous. They become famous because of some sort of tape that gets leaked out. Yeah, sure, some of these folks are victims. I get that, and some of these folks have been taken advantage of. But also, I think it's become an increasingly successful business plan. Because they say, man, I just have to achieve a little bit of greatness. And it doesn't matter how good or bad it is to get there. And Jesus says, I'm not going to take the shortcut. I'm not going to pursue greatness at all costs. It has to be good as well. Satan then takes Jesus to a place and he says, listen, Jesus, I'm going to make you king of the world. The world has fallen. I will allow you to rule over everything. You could take a shortcut. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. You just have to recognize that I'm in charge and bow to me. 
And Jesus, again, casts Satan away using the words of God. Friends, the words of God are so powerful. We have to allow him to shape us. Uh, McManus again writes, he says, humans have the strange capacity to live a soulless life. Our inner voice was never supposed to simply be an echo chamber. Our inner voice was always to resonate with the voice of God. Every other voice will make us less than we were intended to be or convince us that we are more than we really are, except the voice of God. You might listen to a lot of voices that tell you you're not all that God has created you to be. You might listen to other voices that tell you you're more than God created you to be. It's only when you listen to the voice of your creator that you get, get it right. Again, McManus, I love this. Maybe my favorite funny quote. He says, the sane man can identify all the voices in his head and the insane man thinks all those voices are his. Friends, that's so true. There's so many things we tell ourselves because we picked it up someplace and we allow that to just live and echo and then repeat inside of our minds. We've got to take the time to identify what are the voices we're listening to? What are they saying to us and about us? And we need to make sure that we're tuning into the voice of God. When we do, when we tune in with the voice of our creator, we find that we are ready to shape the world with our voice. It's after Jesus comes through the temptation where he soundly rejects the devil by the words of God. It's after that that he begins his preaching ministry, his ministry of proclamation. And Jesus will then go out and his message is real simple. He say, hey, get ready because God's kingdom has come near. Repent, turn your life around. Get right with God because he's right next door to you. That's the message he preaches. That's the message he's crucified for. It's four words. I'm reading a biography right now on George Washington, and it's pretty great. Uh, But, you know, we know of him as a military man, first president, sure, all these things, but he knew the power of words. Think about the power of words in the history of our country. I mean, the Declaration of Independence, right? It starts with what? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. It's these words that launch a revolution. You then have uh, these words, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, and on it goes into the Constitution. What happens here? This launches an experiment of self-governance that we're still living inside of. Friends, our words have been shaped, or our history has been shaped by our words. They've changed the course of history. And if you really were have to nail it down, like why at the end of the day was Jesus crucified? When they take Jesus to Pilate, they say he set himself up to be a king. In other words, what? He said that the kingdom of God has now come. Jesus is crucified because of what he said. And they crucified him because they understood how dangerous the words that he was saying were. Jesus says simply, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's his message over and over and over again. And throughout the centuries, men and women of faith have picked up these very same words and they've been met with resistance and violence. Think back in church history. You've got people like William Tyndale, 
who attempts to translate scripture into the English language so that people could read God's word in their words. He is burned at the stake. Why? Is it because he, he was a violent man? Is it because he was leading a revolution? It's no, it's because he said he wanted God's word to be available to everyone. Words have power. Think of brave Christians like Martin Luther King Jr. or Oscar Romero or other activists who have said, listen, we have got a, a, a message. It's that God's people have been created equal and they need to be treated with kindness and as humans. And what happens? They're met with violence. They're assassinated. Why? Is it because they were equipping people with guns and, and knives and bombs and all these things? No, they weren't doing that. They were just speaking the truth. Why are they assassinated? Because of the power of words. They used their voice. They shaped the world. Now, I know that most of us are not going to go on and be remembered for leading reformations or revolutions, but I want you to know that your words have power. Let me tell you what you do. Every time you say this simple phrase, I forgive you, you have resurrected a relationship. Every time you say the three simple words of I love you, you are giving life to somebody. Every time you look at somebody who is discouraged and you say, I believe in you, you give them strength. Friends, the words we speak are so powerful. How are the words that you say, how are they shaping people around you? How are the words of others shaping you? Friends, words are powerful. We can't ignore them. We've got to pay attention to them. We have to use them wisely. That's what we're going to be studying this week. And if you're in a community group, you're going to have an opportunity to talk more about that. I want to give you three challenges, three things that I want you to sort of hold on to this week as we go through. The first is this. I want you to start to pay attention to the voices that have shaped you. What story are these voices calling you to? Uh, last week, I encouraged you to start keeping a journal of gratitude and to write down the things that you, you could see God was doing in your life and, and go ahead and write that down. And I also encourage you to maybe write down the dreams that you felt God was calling you to. Perhaps you add into this the, the words you keep saying. Listen to how you talk to yourself in moments of frustration. Listen to how you talk to yourself when you feel defeated or discouraged. How is it that you speak to yourself? Write that down. And then ask yourself this question, would you allow anybody else to talk to you like that? And if the answer is no, why would you let yourself speak to yourself that way? Why would you do that? Where did you learn that? What voice is that? Is that really your voice or is that the voice of somebody else? Pay attention to those voices. The second is this, I want you to remind yourself that you're made in the image of God. We're gonna push this out on social media later this week, but Psalm 139 verse 14 says, I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Fearfully and wonderfully made, that's all of you. Your works are wonderful, that's you. I don't know what you think about yourself, but here, I want you all to hear this. You are fearfully, you're wonderfully made. You are a wonderful work of God. That's who you are. Once you start to internalize that, maybe memorize that, and every time you come at yourself with something that's negative and, and, and terrible and you wouldn't let anybody else talk to yourself that way, maybe recite that verse to yourself real simply. You could just simply say, Psalm 139, 14, say, I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God, I've been created in your image. 
I'll tell you, that'll, that'll start to change how you think about yourself. That'll start to change how you think about God. That'll start to change how you think about your relationships. The third thing, this is a little bit more difficult here. It's decide who you want to be and write a declaration of who you are. Don't allow other people's voices to shape you without at least giving some thought to it. This is something I've started to, to pick up on. I don't have this one down, but uh, Craig Rochelle, um, I like him. He's got this big, long list of daily declarations that he's, he proclaims about himself every morning. Uh, it's, it's a long thing. It's a whole deal. Um, but I thought to myself, you know what? What if I were to start just beginning a day declaring the truth about who I am in God? Uh, I'm not doing this every morning. It's something I'm trying to make a little more regular in my life. But um, I'll tell you, it's, it's kind of first thing in the morning to realize the truth about who you are when the week's busy or stressful or you had a bad day the day before. There's something powerful about that. To remind yourself, maybe something like this, that you're that you fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are filled with the power of the Spirit, that you're never alone, that you are called and equipped to reach people far from God. I don't, I don't know what it is about you, but you start to write those things down and you start to declare those things in your life and you start to change the narrative, change the story, and guess what? It starts to change your life. You go, well, that's just words. Yeah, but words are so powerful. I thought about all the, the different ways words shape our lives. You know, with a simple word, two sets of words, I do, what happens? You, you become a man and wife for the rest of your life. Simple phrase of, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. What's that do? That, that begins that relationship with God. Where you say, I, I believe in you. I know that you're true. That, that's what happens. The words that we speak are so powerful. So let's use them wisely. Worship team's gonna come out. We're gonna sing a song here in a second. And here's what I want to do. Is I, want, I want us, as we sing the song, to, to really declare it. To not just sing it because the words are there, but to really proclaim it as true. And to say, God, these are the words. I believe these things about you. I believe these things about myself. The other thing, too, maybe here this morning you've realized that you have stopped listening to the voice of God. Jesus is baptized. He, the very first thing he hears is what? This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. You know, that, I believe, is proclaimed after every single one of us in heaven as we're baptized. This morning, if you've forgotten that, one of the things we like to do is we leave our baptistry open. We've got some paper towels over here. Some people like to put their hands in the baptistry to remind themselves that they are baptized, that God with you is well pleased. You could come up here, have a moment there. If you want to talk with somebody, I'm going to be down here during this song. I'd love to talk with you. The person that brought you to church this morning, they would love to pray with you. They would love to talk with you. But today, let's commit ourselves to listening to the voice of God and to proclaiming his truth to ourselves and to those we meet. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing.
stay standing. Two things real quick. If you're visiting with us, don't just jet out the door. Please stop by Guest Central. We've got a gift we'd love to give you and we'd love to get to know you a little bit more. And if you're newer and you want to know how to get involved, join us for Circle Up the first two Sundays of every month. That's where you learn how to get in a group. That's where you learn how to get on a team serving. Don't miss out on that. Uh, one quick challenge. I thought this might be fun this week. Who's ready to try something simple, easy, and free this week that is a challenge to follow us up? I got a few. Come on, it's simple, easy, and free. Okay, I got a few more. All right. Some of you are like, I'm not sure. Here's what it is. I was at a conference one time, and the bathrooms were immaculate, but there was this one guy in there just hustling, like cleaning windows and stuff, and everybody's just like throwing paper everywhere. You know how it is when you got people trying to get in out of a bathroom real quick. And I looked him in the eye and I said, man, you're doing a great job. This is the cleanest bathroom I've ever seen. And his whole face lit up, and he's like, man, thank you so much. Like, it, it changed his day. Uh, you can do that this week. Let's try to all in this room in Bowling Green this week, try giving one unexpected compliment to somebody. They're, they don't know what's coming. They don't know when it's going to show up, but you're going to just look him in the eye and say, you're doing a great job. Our value, I appreciate you. Who's willing to try that this week? All right, now a lot more because you're like, okay, I can do that. It's simple, easy, and free. All right, let's try that. I want to pray over you, then we're going to be dismissed. God, you have spoken truth to us. You have told us that we've been made in your image. You have told us that you love us enough that you wouldn't leave us alone. And so you sent Jesus. He came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And you've told us, God, that you are coming back for us. These are all true words. Help us, Lord, to remember those words this week. And God, this week... Give us the strength and the courage to open up our mouths and to share words of life and encouragement with those we come in contact with. Give us the strength to do that by the power of your spirit. It's in your name we ask these things, Jesus. Amen. Hey, you're dismissed. Have a great week. Perfect design